Hey, good morning, Mercy family. Uh, these past few weeks, they have been something else, haven't they? I mean, Easter, I'll be honest, I was really kind of over the few weeks leading up to it as we're doing this at-home worship. I was pretty excited about it, and it really didn't disappoint the combination of our worship team putting together an awesome morning for us. And uh, I just really, my family left it with a whole lot of hope. It was really great. And then I, I realized, man, we're kind of still in this thing. We're still in it. Uh, for a lot of you, y'all, it's your first time with us. Maybe last weekend was, and, and now you're kind of joining in with us. And we want to welcome you to, to the Mercy family, even in this new normal that we're kind of operating in. And we had, by all measurements, uh, the most engagement we've ever had in a worship service last weekend, uh, just about... It's about four weeks ago. We had eight people who profess faith in Christ, um, which is something that we are celebrating and following up with. And y'all, it just, it hit me though, even with all of that, there's still this reality that we're in. And I feel like now more than ever, we need some concrete hope that we can stand on. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So you got your Bible. I want you to head over to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. All right, here's what we're going to see kind of two things happen at the same time that's got me pretty excited. First, we're going to see God work on an individual, all right? We're going to see an individual lay his preferences over and submit them, surrender them to God so that he can be used by God. He can be a part of what God is doing. God works in him. God works through him. But then we're also going to see the movement of God in a very significant moment in church history where God expands, multiplies the gospel, and it goes out to all peoples. It's the beginning of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. So we're going to see an individual level what God does, and then we're going to see on a macro level, whole world level what God does, and how one person allows himself to be used by God, changed by God, and then be a part of what God's doing throughout the world. Y'all, here's why I think that's, that's so important is we're in some pretty, we're, we're in some hard times right now, but that's when God can do and often does his greatest work in you and, and when he does his greatest work through you. The church has a history of multiplying during difficult times. I mean, the fastest church growth movements on the planet right now, you know where they are? They're in countries where it is illegal to evangelize other people to tell other people about Jesus. Why? Because God loves to work in hard times. And y'all, I'm your pastor, so I want you to hear this and I'm gonna do everything I can to say this lovingly, but man, I really wanna push you today not to waste your quarantine, all right? I don't want you to just try and get by. This needs to be God's time in your life. I want you to look back 20 years from now and say, thank God for what he did in my life during the COVID-19 crisis. He did some work in me that would have never happened otherwise. My marriage needed quarantine. My family needed it. My prayer life needed it. My dating life needed it. Would y'all listen, while hardship is hitting us, I want us to be able to look back and say the mercy of God met us. And we were awakened to how good it was for us and how much we needed it more than we had ever realized. I want us to look back and say, I got to see God work in me and I got to see him use me to bless other people's lives as well. And that's what we're gonna see in Acts 10. I want us as a church collectively, not just individually, collectively, I don't want us to shrink back in fear during this time. And fear would say, listen, just hunker down and get by and try to minimize your losses. That's what you should do. Try not to lose too much ground in hard times. That's fear. We haven't been given a spirit of fear. 
We've been given a spirit of power, love, and sound judgment. Second Timothy 1.7 tells me, which is why I want us to remember collectively that the, the gospel doesn't shrink back in times, in difficult times. The gospel multiplies and goes forward. And I'm so excited about that. So here's how this is gonna work for the next few minutes. Acts 10, we're gonna go all the way to chapter 11, about verse 18. It's 66 verses in total. So I'm not gonna read them all, okay? There's basically four scenes that, um, that the whole thing is divided up into. I'm gonna summarize scene one and scene two. We're gonna sit down in scene three. And then I'll do a quick summary of scene four for you. And then we're going to look at why it matters because basically what happens is a Jewish fisherman goes and preaches the gospel to a Roman centurion. And we got to figure out why that matters for us 2,000 years later. All right. So here, here's the first two scenes for us. All right. Scene one, you got this guy named Cornelius. Main thing you need to know about him is that he's not Jewish. All right. He's a Roman centurion. And, but he's a guy who, while not Jewish, has been around Judaism, has been praying to the Jewish God, has gone to the temple, has been a good friend to the Jews, but he's not Jewish. Well, one day, uh, and by the way, the not Jewish, the Jewish word for him would be a Gentile because the Jews thought, all right, you got the... You got Jews who are God's people. They're chosen. They're clean before God. Then you got the Gentiles who are unclean. Well, one day, Cornelius is praying when all of a sudden he sees a vision of an angel. And an angel comes down and says, Cornelius. And of course, Cornelius said, yes. He wants to know what's going on. He says, go get Peter. The angel says, go get this guy named Peter in this town called Joppa. He's gonna tell you the message I have for you. So Cornelius does that. That's end of scene one, all right? Well, scene two, the very next day, Peter, the apostle Peter, one of the disciples, one of the original founders of the church, he has a vision and there's this like blanket that comes down from heaven. He's upstairs praying. Blanket comes down from heaven. There's a bunch of food on it that he knows from all of his knowledge about Old Testament law, that food's unclean. That's for the Gentiles who are unclean people to eat that unclean food. But this, and, and then a voice says, Peter, get up, kill and eat. And Peter's like, I can't because that's unclean stuff, right? That's for the unclean people. But then the vision happens two more times. And Peter's like, well, it happened three times. And right after that, there's a knock at the door. It's Cornelius's boys knocking at the door saying, hey, we need you to come with us. And Peter's like, well, all right, this happened. And the spirit of God himself says, Peter, go exactly where they tell you to go and, and go talk to them. And Peter's like, okay, that's the end of scene two. So you got the Gentile centurion having a vision. And then you've got Peter, this Jewish fisherman, who's this follower of Jesus now having a vision, all right? So scene three opens up. Peter has showed up at Cornelius's house, all right? He's shown up at the house and Cornelius actually falls down and starts to worship Peter. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. you don't worship me. I'm a man just like you. You should see me. I, I, often I just betray the very people that I'm supposed to be worshiping. I'm not the one, right? So then he says, okay, well, he brings him into the house, all right, verse 28 of Acts chapter 10 is where I'm gonna pick up and start reading to you because Peter starts to put a couple of the puzzle pieces together. He doesn't know all about Cornelius's uh, vision, his visit from the angel yet, but he's putting some stuff together. Verse 28, Peter said to them, Cornelius and all these people packed into this house listening, you know, it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. Like he's not even supposed to be there. That would make him unclean. 
but God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's his understanding from that vision that he saw with the blanket coming down. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So may I ask why you sent for me? What am I doing here, right? I don't want you to miss how big of a leap Peter has taken in 24 hours spiritually. From living your whole life without associating with a certain group of people because you think I'm honoring God by not associating with those people, right? And now God being the very one telling you that that group you thought you weren't associated with, they're not unclean. And in fact, I'm sending you to them. Now you're in their house and you don't know why. That's a roller coaster of 24 hours, right? So now Cornelius takes a few minutes and catches him up. Well, here's the vision I had. The angel came to me, said, go, get, go to send some people to Joppa, get this guy named Peter. And he finishes saying, this is great, verse 33. Here's what Cornelius says. So immediately I sent for you and it was good of you to come. Don't you love how polite the centurion is? Um, so now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you have been commanded by the Lord. That is the greatest introduction a preacher could ever get to a bunch of people that have never heard the gospel ever before. Uh, That is what I long for, all right? Peter's overwhelmed because for him, the puzzle that he's been trying to work out and figure out what is going on here, it's now all complete. And he realizes this is a revolutionary moment in the big picture global mission of God. So Peter begins to speak, verse 34. Now, and this might be the most important verse that I'm gonna share with you today, okay? Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, yes, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of, look at that last word, all. Lord of all. God sent the message to the Jews, but it wasn't just for the Jews. They were to carry that message to every nation because y'all, God's favorite people on planet earth is all people. His favorite people is all people. He is Lord of all. He doesn't have favorites. He doesn't play favorites. That's where, whenever you hear, you know, God doesn't play favorites. God loves everybody. That's where it comes from. Is this passage right here, this moment in church history. And then, so what does Peter do? Having said that, having realized what's happened here, then he preaches the gospel to the Gentiles. And I want you to hear what he says. This, I'm gonna read you from verse 39 to verse 43 because it is the proclamation of this great news, the news that you and I still need today. Peter says, we ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem. And yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. That's the crucifixion of Jesus we celebrated on Good Friday. But Sunday came. Verse 40, God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen. That's what we celebrated this past weekend with Easter, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him. And listen to this, that through his name, everyone, who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. It's the gospel message, everyone. And Peter, up until this moment, had no idea fully what that word everyone meant. 
And now it's taken on new life for him. He knew Jesus had said, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. But Peter at that time couldn't see beyond his own world with that. Peter understood that the world meant the Jews of the world. And now God's saying, no, Peter. When I say everyone, I mean everyone. Everyone from every ethnicity across the planet. Everyone who believes Jesus paid the debt for their sins can receive forgiveness from God and find new life in him. Every single one. What happens next confirms this historic moment. We're still in scene three here. While Peter, verse 44, was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message while he was speaking. You see, I love that. I love how this depicts the the simplicity of faith. The Spirit doesn't need to wait on the sermon to finish, right? He moves when he moves. When you believe Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins, God saves you right then. He might come to you right now, right in the middle of the sermon and convict your heart and call you to believe. And when he moves, he moves, and that's when you respond to him. So then verse 45, the circumcised believers, those are the Jewish believers, the ones who had come with Peter because they were like, we gotta go see what's gonna happen here. They were, in fact, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. They used to think of the Gentiles the same way Peter did, as unclean. For they heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Now the Gentiles are being put on the same playing field in the Jews' eyes as they are, as the Jewish Christians. Let me do a little bit of, um, if, you, if you'll allow me, and you can't really stop me. So let me do a little bit of, um, of like Bible hopscotch to show you how important this moment is, okay? Over in, so we're in Acts chapter 10, okay? A little bit later in scripture, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is gonna say that tongues, the speaking in tongues by the Gentiles, were a fulfillment of a promise given to the Jews way back in Isaiah 28, all right? That the gospel would one day be spoken by Gentiles to the Israelites in a strange tongue as a sign to the Israelites' unbelieving hearts that the gospel was gonna go forward to the Gentiles. So this is that moment. Like now God is making good on an old promise. By having them speaking in tongues, God is orchestrating really a second Pentecost. This is the Pentecost of the Gentiles. It happens that Luke is very intentional with the same language of what happened there in Acts chapter two with the Jews where the spirit comes down and they're speaking in a bunch of different languages, right? To to all the people are going, what's going on? Well, this is the gospel coming to the Jews. And now Acts 10, the gospel has come to the Gentiles. God is giving a sign to the Jews. He's including them in his salvation covenant. And then verse 47, Peter says, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Baptism is their external public celebration of what God has done internally in them. No longer is circumcision gonna be the sign of faith. Now baptism's the sign of faith. That's why y'all, when you receive Christ's gift of salvation, when you receive that offer, you, you repent of your sins, you say, yes, I believe Christ died for me. That's why we call you to be baptized because it is a public declaration that yes, 
I believe Christ has done that. And it's why we celebrate like crazy around here when someone gets baptized. And if that's the step you need to take, maybe it's coming off of Easter. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but you've never done that. You've never followed Christ in obedience that way. Um, you can, there's a spot up on our website. It says next steps. And you can go there and let us know that you're ready to get baptized or maybe that you just want to have a conversation about it. And we'd love to follow up with you because when we get back from all of this, we're going to do some baptisms and it's going to be awesome. All right. Now, listen. All of this was really hard for the Jews that were there and for the Jews who heard about it. That takes us to scene four that I'll just summarize really quickly, all right? So scene four, Peter heads back to Jerusalem and the believing Christians there who are Jews are like, Peter, we heard a rumor that you were eating with Gentiles, that you were hanging out with people that aren't circumcised, their way of saying the Gentiles, the unclean people. And so Peter says, listen, guys, I got to tell you what happened. And he just relays the whole thing. And he actually talks about how I had to see that vision three times because I couldn't even believe what was going on. But then he finishes and look at verse 17. He says, if then God gave them the same gift that he has also given to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? Woo. God is moving, God's saving people, God is integrating his church, not just Jews from every culture now. No, the church, church is made up to be, meant to be people from every ethnic group. The church, the bride of Christ, the family of God is now and forevermore to be multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational, a family of God. And Peter says, how could I possibly get in the way of that? That is God's decree that the gospel be for all people. Now, that's where scene four ends actually ends verse 18 with them worshiping in agreement with him, which is pretty awesome. The church submits to God's plan. But I want to come up for for air now that we've seen these scenes. And I want to talk about what this means for us. You're seeing God do work in an individual. I'm going to draw that out with Peter. And then we see God working on a global scale to take his gospel to all people. So what does it mean for us that, that this Jewish fisherman went and preached to this Roman centurion 2,000 years ago? Well, let's start with this. I want to start by saying God is working in these hard times. The church was forced in Acts chapter 8, just two chapters before um, our, our passage today, was forced to scatter because of persecution. They were under duress. They didn't have their normal gatherings that they used to have where they used to come to church together. They were forced to scatter. And in what felt like a hard time, what was really going on is God had been cultivating seeds of his global mission underneath the surface. And now just two chapters later, new life is springing up in new places. The Christians are constantly under threat of death, constantly going through difficulties. And that's when God starts to really shine. It's his time because in difficult times, only God gets the glory for the work that he does. So I wanna ask you something right now in the difficult time that we are all in and that you're in, what's God trying to do in you? Before we start talking about what God's gonna do through you, like we saw him do through Peter, first he had to do something in Peter. Maybe you've been ignoring him Right? Maybe you were in, in the, the previous, you know, maybe a few months ago, you were kind of uh, doing that whole fake busyness thing to try and ignore uh, sitting still and hearing the voice of God. 
But you think for a second, now you got a window right now. I mean, think about it. What are you doing this afternoon? Nothing. You're doing nothing. You're not going to a friend's house. You're not going to the lake. You're not going anywhere else. You're just trying to figure out whether today is the day that you are going to cut your own hair. That, that's fully what you were trying to decide. And, and that's it, right? Or if it can go another week. Why not sit down with God? Why not pray and search your soul? Say to God, God, I don't want to waste my quarantine. Ask him this question and ask it maybe with pen and paper. God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to do in me? Peter was given a pretty strange calling, right? I mean, when you think about the sheet coming down, but, and then, hey, go with these guys to this place with a bunch of Gentiles, but he obeyed it because the spirit of God said to go and he went. He humbled himself to realize God was showing him something. Before he preached the gospel, if you look at the way the verses are structured, you see the events before he preached to them, God did a work in Peter's heart showing him that if God loved all people, Peter needed to love all people. And God began tearing the walls of racism and prejudice down that were in his heart. And he did so not by condemning Peter, but by showing Peter what he loved. And by calling Peter to love as he loves, and even inviting Peter to be an instrument in integrating his church but it started in Peter's heart. God, what do you want to do in me? What do I need to trust you with? What do I need to surrender? What step of faith do I need to stop fighting? And I want you to know the great hope that's waiting for you as you go into that question that's very personal, right? That's just you and God alone there under conviction. But here's the great hope. The spirit of God is with you in that. He's with you right there. He's interceding on your behalf before God. So you're like, I don't really know how to pray or how to listen. Don't worry. The spirit of God is with you there. You have God's ear as you ask this question. You have the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave at work in you if you're a follower of Christ. So as you go to him and say, okay, God, I'm kind of going to put myself out here and I'm going to spend 15 minutes alone this afternoon, just talking with you. What you need to realize, God has been expecting you. God is not surprised that you're finally ready to talk with him. He's been expecting you. He's the one that's been stirring up your heart towards this moment, and he is going to meet you there. Here's the second thing I want us to see from this interaction with Peter and Cornelius. The gospel and God's church is for all peoples. God does not have a favorite people group. Peter, who knew the grace of God, came to the very clear realization. And we truly, I know this. That's the way he words that. Truly, I understand. He came to the realization God doesn't have favorites. That God loved the Gentile just like he did the Jew. And if God had no favorites, it meant Peter was going to have to lay aside everything he knew in order to be a part of building God's church the way that God wanted to build it. And y'all, that wasn't easy work. 
There was a lot of things in his heart that he had to continue to turn over to God. In fact, there's a, you kind of start to see the story of Peter throughout even the New Testament letters that he had to work through this and he had some setbacks and had to continue to repent and come back to God and learn and everything else. That's why there's so many reminders throughout the New Testament letters that God doesn't have a favorite people. I mean, Ephesians 2, God broke down. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 announces the gospel. The very next thing it does is it says, God broke down the dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. That's the very next thing it says. Galatians 2, um, Paul recounts how he confronted Peter, y'all, I can't believe it, for showing partiality to the Jews over the Gentiles. Peter, so if it can happen to Peter, it can happen to us, right? First Peter 2 though, God has made his people a chosen race and a royal nation. He has called out a people that is made up of all peoples. And I share just a couple of those reminders to say it's not easy to put down our cultural preferences, to put down some things that we have been taught for a long time. But God has said his church is to be one people, one family made up of all peoples. So the church must be for all people groups and made up of all people groups. We're going to keep pressing forward to build Mercy Church and to build Mercy Church in a way that is not just one majority culture making a little room for minority cultures, but instead is a church built from the ground up for all peoples. God has blessed our efforts, I believe, uh, these past couple of years as we've really begun to, to move that direction, but we have a ways to go. And the great news of Acts 10 is that we bring glory to God and we are in step with what he loves as we pursue that vision. That brings me to the third point. God's grace is for any person. That's what we see in this. I know there's somebody watching this who thinks they've disqualified themselves from God's grace. Like if you only knew. That's, the, that's the, usually the line that goes, if you only knew. Listen, I know there's others who have lived under the constant impression that you're just not worthy of God. I'm telling you, the Bible is filled with stories like these of God going to really great lengths to declare that his grace is for any person. And what he's saying here in Acts 10, his grace is for everyone. Not only does Peter say in verse 36, he's Lord of all. He says in verse 43, uh, through his name, everyone who believes will see, receive the forgiveness from sins. His grace is for you. No one, hear me, no one is too far gone to receive the grace of God in full, in full. I mean, the apostle Paul from Acts 9, we heard his story just a couple of weeks ago from murdering Christians to telling of the great hope of Christ to people all around the world, from a murderer to a missionary, no one's too far gone for the grace of God. The last thing I'll say that is very clear here is that God sends his people to all people. It is very clear what God does. I mean, isn't this whole thing kind of fascinating? Like, I don't know. I just think God's pretty cool with this whole way he wires this stuff up. I mean, orchestrating this whole elaborate plan with these visions to sit, like get Cornelius, or you're gonna hear an angel, but then you're gonna have to call for Peter. Peter, you're gonna see a vision. That's gonna confirm that you need to go and a person needs to go tell a person about the gospel. Why not just tell Cornelius, angel, like, hey, the gospel's for you. Because God has wired this whole thing up to work through people. I told you to ask the question, God, what do you want to do in me? And you need to deal with him on that. 
But there's a second question that also gets at the heart of God and the mission of God and God's purposes in the world. God sent Peter to announce the gospel to Cornelius, to to be the bringer of grace to Cornelius, to declare who God really is to Cornelius. And the question, we can't wait a few months until we get out of this crisis to, to answer is, God, who are you sending me to? Who are you sending me to? Who do I get to be a blessing to by bringing your grace to them? Y'all, God is, is moving right now and he moves through people. I'm going to tell you, it's going to start in your home. It's going to start with the people you live with, right? You, you need to be a blessing. <laughs> Think of it this way. Who are the people that you need to be a blessing to instead of a burden right now? People that maybe you need to repent to for being selfish when Christ is calling you to represent him by being selfless. Husbands and wives, let's redeem this time for our marriages starting that way. For our, for our families, right? Let's do so by going first, by recognizing God put me here and put his spirit of power within me to bring grace to the people in my home. To, to my roommates. I'm not gonna wait on them to apologize to me for the wrong they did to me and everything. I'm not gonna keep a list of wrongs here. No, I'm gonna go first and be a bringer of grace. I'm, I'm gonna go first there. Y'all, I know maybe, maybe the calling God's put on you is indeed to share the gospel with the people in your home. I recognize we got living rooms right now, people watching this that are divided by faith. Unbeliever, I hope you won't just listen to me. I hope you'll, you'll listen to, to me, but then, man, I hope you'll listen to your believing family member or believing roommates who want to share with you, not that they are superior in any way, but that God in his grace sent somebody to them, just like he sent Peter to Cornelius to share this message that anyone who believes that Christ died for their sins can receive forgiveness that God offers and can have new life because they believe Christ got out of the grave. And you can have that same forgiveness and that same new life. It's way better than a second chance. It's new life. God says that the old is gone, the new has come. You're a new creation when you receive that. Listen, it doesn't stop in our homes. It certainly doesn't stop in our homes. Who are the the friends? Who are the coworkers? You know what I've noticed is like, Small talk is almost, it's almost dead right now because human interaction is so, it's increasing in value for us. And there's really not that much to talk about on the small talk scale. And so people are much more open to having real conversations, which is really good because Christ doesn't meet them in the superficial area. He meets you down in your soul with the things you really need. And church, we carry the one secure hope that will never be shaken. So I want you to pray, who is God sending you to? Because as he sends you, you carry, listen, you carry the spirit of God, that's God himself, and you carry the hope of God that the world so desperately needs, that your neighbor needs, right? That your cousin needs, that your friend needs, whoever it is that that they need, you carry that alongside of the spirit of God. And maybe you can't 
sit down over lunch with them right now because of the situation we're in, but that doesn't stop the spirit of God, right? That can be through text, that can be through a phone call, that can be through um, some sort of video call together, whatever it is, pray, God, who are you sending me to? Church, I hope that you'll remember And what we see in Acts 10 is God working in someone. God, what do you want to do in me? And then you see that God takes what he does in Peter and then he uses Peter to say, look what I'm doing in the world. Look at this beautiful church that I'm creating, a people being called out among all peoples to represent the great, beautiful tapestry that is heaven that one day people will see in full. And we get to be a part of that, this side of heaven. I want to close out by just giving us a couple of things to pray through, okay? We're going to take the next just few minutes and there in your living room, in your kitchen, wherever it is that you are, that you're, that you're engaging with us and worshiping with us this morning, I want you to just pray through these couple of prayer points that are going to show up on your screen. Really simple things, just trying to get us to reflect and make sure that we deal with God this morning. And that's first is, God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to do in me, God? Like Peter, God had a work to do in him before he worked through him. What do you want to do in me? Secondly, God, who are you sending me to? And I want to, I want to give you one more. And this is a prayer for, for you if you're ready as an unbeliever, as one who doesn't follow Christ, if you're ready to believe, but it's also for followers of Christ. And that's God, I believe, help my unbelief. God, I believe, but maybe right now for whatever reason, and certainly there's some really good ones in the circumstances and, and we get dominated by the, the news and everything else. It's, it's easy for our belief to feel like it's wavering. Spirit of God is with us. God, I, I do believe, help my unbelief. Strengthen me, Father, so that I can stand, not in my own power, but in yours. And, and I can be changed by you and share not my own success, but just the great hope I have in Christ. So you take the next few minutes, you pray those three things as they come up on the screen and then our worship team will lead us from here.